What matters to you, what matters to Hamilton, matters to Scott. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine on the cloud. Remember at the beginning of this pandemic when we all just worked together? What happened? Here's Scott Thompson. I'm Scott Thompson, Tom McKay on the board in the newsroom. Uh, Lisa Pulaski and Dave Woodard. Uh, it's amazing how uh, the tide has uh, has, has kind of turned here, and uh, it, it, we've heard from uh, both uh, the premier of the uh, province, who had a very, very, very stern uh, message, something that uh, we should have been hearing from our prime minister quite a while ago. Uh, and, and, and we are where we are now. And it looks like with the, uh, state of emergency being declared that, uh, now police services, um, will change this to a different type of operation. It is pretty clear, uh, especially with the president of the United States calling up the prime minister and saying, uh, this ain't going to work. This, uh, is not acceptable. Uh, all of a sudden now things are, are starting to, to move forward. And, uh, we're really seeing, um, the prime minister change his tone. And he said three simple words today during his news conference. And I feel if he had said these right off the beginning, we would not be where we are today. And he said, we hear you. Three simple words. We hear you. Instead of walking away and hoping it all go away, uh, he, he, he said, we hear you. Which is, I think, what a lot of the politicians have been expressing uh, over time. Uh, and, and for some reason, we have not heard that from the prime minister. First time, uh, also, the government is talking about Dr. Tam and a plan to move forward uh, now. And the prime minister uh, said that they will make announcements in regard to the airports and testing and all that sort of thing. Imagine what that's going to do to the travel industry. It's going to take off. Um and how, uh, you know, Dr. Tam said earlier today, these are just not needed anymore. Uh, and it's time to revisit this. And the, uh, the government saying, the health minister saying that, uh, they are working in the next week to announce some sort of plan forward, which really the provinces have been doing for quite a while. Uh, Ontario's and Ontario started it last month. So, uh, finally we're seeing some, some changes in, uh, not only, uh, attitude at all levels of government and a much stern warning that, um, that this is not going to be tolerated. And, uh, my guess is between now and the weekend, we're going to see a, a great change, uh, in this story. I want to play you a couple of clips here. This is Doug Ford talking about conversations with the prime minister. I can tell you, I've been on the phone with the prime minister, premiers across this country, U.S. ambassador, governors, and is, is in the mayors as well to make sure that we do everything we can to do this peacefully. And on the state of the uh, state of emergency declared in Ontario and uh, and moving forward on that, here's what the premier had to say. Today, I'm using my authority as premier of Ontario to declare a state of emergency in our province. 
and I will convene cabinet to use legal authorities to urgently enact orders that will make crystal clear it is illegal and punishable to block and impede the movement of goods, people, and services along critical infrastructure. All right, that is the Premier uh, earlier on at his news conference speaking about declaring a state of emergency in uh, Ontario, uh, allowing things to move forward in um, uh, and really what this is about is the ambassador bridge and the border uh, to the United States. Um, it, it's, uh, I'm sure, uh, whatever happens and moves forward on this, it will be implemented in Ottawa as well. But seriously, it's the, the closing of an international border, uh, a federal border that, uh, that certainly gets everybody's attention. And when the president and, um, the governor of Michigan are on your phone saying, Hey, you've brought business to a halt, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's going to change things. It's going to be fascinating to see, and we're going to try to hit a few angles of this moving out over the course of uh, of the afternoon. But it's going to be uh, fascinating to see uh, what the long term of uh, effects of uh, of this are. Uh, one politician out of Michigan saying, "This is exactly why we have to bring manufacturing jobs." Uh, from Ontario back into Michigan because of uh, shenanigans like this that um, and just the divisive nature of where we are and inability uh, to, to to bring people together and, and get business moving. Uh, this is just another argument to buy American and rely on their own sources of product as opposed to, uh, you know, Canadian as well. You know, obviously that's a lot more complicated and it's certainly not easy just to flick a switch because, as we know, the auto industry parts will go back and forth several times before they end up uh, on an automobile. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this unfolds over the course of the weekend. Coming up, uh, we're going to get some perspectives, and certainly from uh, the United States, including uh, one of our resident snowbird, Doc Hallen, uh, former morning man at FM in Ottawa, and get his perspective of what he's seeing about his hometown <laughs> on the news from a Florida perspective. Uh, Doc hosted uh, the morning show, the Doc and Woody show, uh, or, uh, something like that, anyway, at FM in Ottawa. And then just as the pandemic started, he decided to retire and go down to uh, Florida. And you know what's... Uh, as a snowbird, of course. And you know what happened over the last two years. So he finally got down there uh, this year, and uh, it, it's been quite fun for him, from what we understand. Uh, good afternoon, Doc. How are you doing? Hello there from Boca. How are you doing there? <laughs> so so uh, you're from Ottawa. So first of all, um, what is the coverage like down in FLA about what you're seeing happening in your hometown? How much of this is a story down there on your TV? Uh, uh, well, they mention it. Uh, I don't know. I don't really watch the TV news very much. I'm a retired guy. <laughs> I play so, a lot of golf. So, so is anybody on the golf course talking about this? Uh, once in a while, they'll make a comment. Uh, they'll say, hey, uh, boy, but you're glad you don't have to go across the uh, the border or something like that. Uh, but I, I learned uh, when I first got here to not talk about anything uh, that may be any somewhat political. Because I'll tell you what happened. On the first Saturday I was here, I, I joined a, a club of guys, and we tee off at first light on Saturday morning. And so the first day I get down there at 6.30, it's pitch black, and I'm 
introducing myself to all the guys and chatting away. And this guy named Joseph says, oh, you're from Canada. Yeah, I bet you pay a lot in tax, huh? And I said, well, uh, not really. I, I said, it, it's somewhat similar to yours here, except I get free health care. And, and then just as I said that, the sun came up, and he hit his ball and got into his cart. And I noticed as he was driving away that he had a Trump uh, <laughs> license plate. He had a big flag that said, let's go, Brandon, and another flag <laughs> flapping in the wind that said Trump 2024. And he never spoke to me again for the rest of the round. <laughs> so, and, and, and they're armed, so you never know. Uh, so obviously you have family still up in Ottawa. Uh, that's what you, that's where you go in the summer when the snow all melts and such. So what are they saying about what's going on up there? Uh, they're horrified by it. They just, yeah. uh, matter of fact, uh, my girls just took their kids out of school today because, uh, Pat King, the, uh, lunatic, uh, guy who's running this convoy, uh, like a, a military leader. Uh, wait a sec. Wait a sec. You just told me, you know, nothing about this. You're, uh, out playing golf yet. You know, the names of the leaders. I don't even know that. Well, no, you ask me what I'm seeing on the TV news. <laughs> you got to follow the, the, the Twitter and the, and the Zello. Well, I just the... sort of was including that all in the same, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I know Look I at know you as a senior bragging right about your technology. The right-wing factions and all, and this, this uh, anti, uh, the, you know, the guy who doesn't care. He thinks that the vaccines are going to they're developed to eradicate white people. That guy. Pat King was telling the kids yesterday to wear orange to school today and that they were going to be cruising around the schools and they were going to have a walkout and stuff. So they pulled the kids out just in case something like that happened. Uh, it's heartbreaking wow. what's going on, actually. You know, they were hoping it was just going to be a protest. Like, you know, in Ottawa, there are protests almost every day. Yeah. And uh, it's perfectly well accepted, and it's your Canadian right to do so. But this is a completely different thing. And so, uh, obviously, there's you're seeing the federal government, the provincial governments, uh, the municipality now, uh, obviously, with, with Ottawa and such, uh, seem to be on the same page today, and it appears that things are going to move forward. Uh, any concern with your family in Ottawa or, or what they think is going to happen in the next 24, 48 hours there? Uh, they're staying away from it. Yeah. Uh, for, they all live out in the burbs. Uh, yeah. I'm more concerned about my friends who live downtown. Uh, they haven't slept for weeks, and uh, they it's hard for them to to move around. It's uh, it's unbelievable what's what's going on there. I don't think it was what everybody was expecting. It's gone way farther. Yeah, good point. All right. Well, what's the weather like down there now? It's cold. Hey, listen. I think I got your uh, producer uh, hooked on Wordle. I yeah, post his, his wordle every day, and uh, uh, people get really annoyed for, from people who post their wordle scores. So I thought, yeah. oh, I got an idea. So I'm posting my wordle score every day until this convoy is done. That Boy, Doc, that'll show them. And you know, uh, I'm sure Will's really uh, excited that uh, he and a senior citizen retired in Florida have such a common uh, thread to link them together. That's absolutely Everybody's fabulous. Everybody's into Wordle except for you, Scott. You, you'll oh. tell me. You'll tell me a year from now that you've discovered this thing called Wordle. <laughs> It'll be long over by then. Are you going to the Golden Corral tonight for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's all-you-can-eat buffet. 
I'll have some ribs for you. Sorry, I missed that. What was it? I said I'll have some ribs for you. And, you know, you can buy one of those little side styrofoam things for like three ninety nine, and you can even take some home. There you go. All right, Doc Halen with his retired morning show host, Shea FM, Wordle enthusiast and our informant in Florida, resident snowbird. Uh, so far, so good. He's still alive, Doc Halen. Uh, as always, Doc, thanks so much for the time. Be well, and uh, good luck with the game. Ciao for now. I'm off to the buffet. <laughs> Interesting uh, note coming out, and you know we remember this, uh, I guess, through the course of this pandemic, that uh, the Ontario government said, you know, don't worry about those stickers, um, you know, your license plate stickers when they come due, uh, because everything was closed down every uh, anyway. And then when we eventually did, um, uh, we remember what the lineups were, and then of course it quickly pivoted, and and you could do it all online, which changed everything uh, again. And obviously, as we've seen through uh, the this global pandemic technology has changed the way we do a lot of things and, um, you know, advance some things that uh, probably we had been sitting on for a while. Uh, now what is coming out is do we need the little license plate sticker that you get when you renew your license every year or every two years, depending upon which option uh, that you select? To talk more about all of this, Lorraine Sommerfeld is with us, auto writer, post media, motherload column in the spec, host of the Lemonade Card Show and is with us now. Lorraine, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing good, and I'm my headset's wonky, so if I'm coming in weird, let me know. <laughs> All right, sounds so so far so good, uh, Lorraine. All good here. So, your okay. thoughts on uh, getting rid of this sticker? Has it uh, outserved its purpose? Has technology moved us on? What is this all about? Oh, getting rid of the stickers is genius. I think we should have done it a long time ago. You know, when you stack them up on your plate. Yeah. And you've got them like so thick, you don't know that the new one's going to stick. Or worse yet, you scrape them off, then you have to wet your finger and put the new one on because it's all dirty. <laughs> Getting rid of the stickers is absolutely the right thing to do. Getting rid of the registration fee is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Uh, so and let's talk about that. Proposing. Because it is really uh, increased in the last few years, anybody that's tried to renew theirs. Uh, what is it now for a year? What is it for two years? It's one twenty. And two forty for two years, but listen, in two thousand and eleven, seventy four bucks. Then the next year, eighty two. The ninety, ninety eight, one oh eight, and it's been one hundred and twenty since two thousand and sixteen. This right. is a cost that drivers should be shouldering. It's not onerous; they're right to put it up. But to hand back a billion dollars, which is yeah. what he's doing, this is way bigger than buck a beer, and I can't stand it. So you're saying uh, the stickers are fine, but the, you got to keep the registration fee. Yeah, ditch the stickers because we don't need them. As soon as no. police see your plate, they know who the driver is. They know if it's registered. They know all that. We don't need stickers, physical stickers. But ditching the fee, uh, I, yes, I know we're coming into an election, but this is part of another conversation is drivers – we should be shouldering that. We should be paying to register our car every year. I don't mm. think that is too much to ask. Do you think this is something that will resonate with people? I don't know if I've ever thought, you know, I remember getting antsy when I was like, man, are they increasing this again? But I, I, I do agree with you that, you know, it's a user tax per se. Uh, if you're using it, yep. you're, you're going to pay for it. Um, 
are, are you surprised that uh, this is an avenue he he would go down? And, and again, they're just speculating at this now. They're just floating this. There's nothing saying it's going to happen. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, are you surprised he went in this direction? Because again, I think a lot of people would have said, you want to re- give us some relief on a gas tax, something like that. That's a bit different. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and there's obviously arguments for and against that as well. But are you surprised they went a, the, the way of the sticker? Why do you think they went in that direction? You want, you want me to tell you what I really think? And I'm about to hear it, Lorraine. Me, I have a feeling. You can call me crazy. He's a very impulsive man. And a lot of the decisions that he makes are very impulsive. He drove by a playground. He saw his buddies playing golf and they had a beer in their hand. He's very impulsive and he just speaks. That's fine. Whatever. That's Everyone's got their way. I honest, His wife's birthday was at the end of January. And I honestly believe he saw that thing come in the mail and thought, oh, people would love me to get rid of that. And I seriously believe it's an impulse, and he did it, and then they shook out the numbers later, and he's going to barrel it through, but it's wrong. It's an absolute wrong kind of bribe. You're right about looking... he, wanted to, he said he was going to bring gas down, didn't happen. He said he's going to do it again. No, he doesn't always have a grasp of what he can actually achieve. And yes, he could do this. But we look at that billion dollars. Where do you think it's going to come from? Like you're going to pay a lot more than 120 bucks a year when he starts slashing more health care or something. And our infrastructure is crumbling. We need help there. This is a ridiculous, obscene thing to give away when people that drive cars and own cars this is the least of our costs every year this is that's not an, a massive yeah. cost that's an interesting point it's do you think the, do you think this is an avenue to go because it's easier than a gas tax uh, something like you said that is perhaps out of grasp out of out of reach something you can't do it's an election carrot. It's just something that's fast and easy. It's like you don't have to pay 120 a year. But you go back 2011, it was 74. It hasn't even doubled. We should be shouldering this. It makes me crazy. Why are drivers getting a break? That does not make sense to me. If we choose to drive cars, and I know there's people that need it for work, I get all that. We still are at an advantage if we're in a car why we should be paying this. This doesn't make any sense to me to take this away. This is crazy. We don't need to be a protected group when especially the coffers are empty. Globally, the coffers are empty after what, you know, two years of a pandemic, everyone is scratching for money. This is not the time to get rid of something that nobody gave a crap about to start with. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's where I would have gone. That's for sure. Do you think this will ever see the light of day? Again, it's being floated right now. He's, well, the Toronto Star report said he's pushing through legislation. He's going to try and jam as many carrots in as he can before the election. I really hope people don't fall for this. I hope they realize what $120 is going to cost you in the long run if you surrender. If if you believe this is a really good thing, please watch and see where that billion is going to be cut. And it will be a really bad choice and you may be getting excited for all the wrong reasons. What do people in the auto industry think about this? Any Have you heard any feedback other than... Have, have you heard any okay, feedback I, other than, than you know, uh, well, coming from where you are? This is anecdotal, of course. I have colleagues. Everyone thinks it's ridiculous. Again, nobody asked for this. Nobody cared about this. Most of us agree when you choose to... It's the same as you have to 
put winter tires on your car. It's the same with having to do maintenance and get your oil checked. This is the cost of owning a car. We all know Mm. it. It's factored in. It's something we know we have to do. So everyone's going, wait, what? (laughs) Like, why? Why this? This, Yeah, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. it, We hit the nail on the head when you said that this, uh, you know, I don't think it's something that uh, anybody really asked for. But anyway, on that, as I sign off with you, uh, have you seen the commercial for the GMC truck with a cat? No. Seriously. It is the, well, look it up on YouTube. The Premier of Ontario announcing a state of emergency, a a very stern uh, news conference. And then um, I guess about two o'clock this afternoon, the Prime Minister came out and uh, gave one of his uh, most um, uh, stern uh, conversations, uh, speeches he has given. And uh, clearly uh, it appears that everybody is on the same page. Uh, and obviously with this affecting the United States, uh, they're also banging on the door wondering what the heck is going on. So what does it mean for the state of emergency? Also, uh, the province announcing it is, uh, well, I guess it started last month slowly removing uh, uh, various uh, COVID-19 restrictions as time moves on. Let's bring in Sabrina Nanji, founder of the Queen's Park Observer, and with us now, Sabrina, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks, Scott. Happy News Friday. Yeah, back at you. I know how you're feeling right about now, and I think the rest of the province feels the same way. Obviously, a pretty strong speech from uh, the Premier today. What's the buzz around there today? What's the feeling, especially as you're heading into a weekend and nobody's quite sure what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's been a a week of heavy rumors at Queen's Park and what the premier announced today, we were kind of expecting, you know, he took a much harsher stance on protesters. Ontario declared a state of emergency that's going to, uh, you know, give police more powers to lay hefty fines um, against these, you know, so-called trucker scoff laws if they're breaking the rules, you know, uh, and and this is mainly aimed at Ambassador Bridge. Uh, We know that, you know, the blockade over there has you know, choked trade between Canada and the U.S., um, like halted traffic. And this is a critical link between these two countries. Uh, you mentioned the prime minister. He was speaking with uh, the president today. We had um, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, you know, um, just uh, going to town on on how uh, the, the country and province has been handling this. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the sentiment is being felt with, with the public as well. There's been a lot of finger pointing, um, a lot of, uh, complicated talk about, uh, you know, jurisdiction, but I think the public is fed up with it and wants to see some action being taken. It's interesting today how it appeared all of a sudden, boom, the politics uh, subsided and everybody seemed to be uh, rowing in the same direction. Uh, again, you were talking about how uh, President Biden of the U.S. and uh, and the Prime Minister were speaking earlier today. Obviously, not the only ones. We've we've seen clips of uh, of the Michigan governor speaking out about this. One thing that is also kind of frightening is the long term effect of this. When one of the Michigan politicians said, "You know, that's all the reason to bring these." jobs back to the United States instead of having them going across a border. Uh, How concerned uh, are we moving forward with that? Look, I think, you know, it's uh, it's clear that what's happening at Ambassador Bridge, uh, that this was the straw that broke the camel's back here. You know, the premier has faced a lot of criticism, especially from the opposition parties. Uh, We had liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, you know, um, up almost every day speaking to reporters, going to meet with impacted businesses um, in Windsor and in Ottawa, you know, saying the premier's MIA 
Whereas Doug, uh, you know, his press conference today was got a little bit derailed, uh, you know, when we found out that he was uh, at the cottage snowmobiling while he's calling what's happening in the capital a siege. But at the end of the day, the premier is all about business um, trade. He was talking about, you know, we've got to stay competitive. Uh, and so, you know, this is what finally moved him to take this, you know, harsh action. And, and now it's going to be up to police to enforce it. I think you're right. You know, the, the politics of this uh, is not is, is is obviously playing a big part in it. Um, you know, it's been the, the liberals, like I mentioned, are, are having a field day. I think Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, taking a harsh stance against this group uh, is playing well for him. And we've seen federally the Conservative Party kind of walk back some of their initial support. And, you know, don't forget, the Conservatives are the are the party of law and order. So I think for whatever maybe small uh, political capital uh, provincially the premier could gain here, don't forget we're, you know, a couple of months out from an election campaign. Uh, I think, you know, this was the right move taking, uh, you know, a tougher stance on this. Uh, we all remember how this started on Parliament Hill, uh, and these are going on at federal uh, 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 federal border crossings and such. Has the Prime Minister successfully deflected this deflected this onto the provinces? I mean, like I said, there's been so much back and forth, so much finger pointing, um, and I think you're right. I- Everyone's kind of on the same page now. It's time to act. It's been going on, you know, three weeks in Ottawa right now. Uh, And especially with, you know, the U.S. uh, speaking up about this. And, you know, it's frankly kind of embarrassing that it got to this point. It's gotten to this level. Um, You know, it's it's hard to think that, uh, you know, these so-called convoy protesters would be, you know, doing what what they're doing in Ottawa and Washington right now. So I think. You know, right now the world is watching. There's, uh, you know, tons of coverage happening from from international outlets. Uh, I think this is a, you know, the the frustration with these uh, pandemic restrictions is is palpable right now. And so, obviously, this protest has uh, evolved into a catch all, you know, for for pandemic restrictions. And I, I get it. Like I'm frustrated too. So I think. Um, there's a bit of a fine line here that that the politicians have been walking, but now, you know, all eyes are on Canada and it's time to do something about it. The prime minister and the premier uh, both having stern uh, messages today uh, and perhaps the most united uh, we have seen them since the early days of uh, this pandemic. Now that we're uh, to this stage of it and such. Uh, and we'll bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. She is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on, Scott. You must be freaking out because this is all about the messaging here. And uh, boy, oh boy, it must be a class for you in some ways. Uh, you know, the, the both stern talk from both leaders today. But I, I thought the prime minister said something today that he's never said before or I've never heard him say. And I think that if this had been said uh, a couple of weeks ago, we might be in a very different place. And uh, early on in the speech, and I've been looking for for, for various clips of it, uh, but he said, we hear you. And he said it a couple of times to the protesters, we hear you, and it's time to move on. Um, you know, obviously part of a, of a larger sentence, but he, he uttered those three words. And, you know, I think if that had been conveyed early on in this, uh, maybe we, we may not be uh, where we are. What are your thoughts? You know, I think in many ways, politicians would hope that this would burn through the news cycle and they would never hear about it again. I don't. Oh, think absolutely. 
And listen, it's not like the Canadian government doesn't have the eyes and ears uh, available to them to find out that such information, okay? There's CSIS, there's other means. They would know that, A, how well-funded is this pro- is this convoy really? Uh, follow the money. Where is the money coming from? And who it does this uh, convoy really represent? Because, honestly, if you think about it, if he had met with the trucking association or those associations that represent truckers, Mm-hmm. Um, in this country, that might have also taken a lot off the table because I think we as Canadians would have found out, oh, these guys aren't really our truckers. They're part of a far-right, well-funded extremist group that 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 surrounded themselves in a hopeful and freedom-loving narrative because people are at their wits' end with COVID. So really, it's disguising a much more nefarious narrative under this you know, freedom for all. And that, Scott, is the most frightening thing of all. So uh, obviously now uh, the message has changed. We've seen, uh, and, and I've been saying this for two weeks, Dr. Tam, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dr. Kieran Moore have all said two weeks ago, starting two weeks ago, it's time to reevaluate this and move forward. Uh, they had Dr. Tam on today reiterating that again, which she had said previously. And then the health minister come out and said, uh, although he said uh, there will be another wave, it's not a case of uh, if, it's a case of when, which I thought was quite frightening he then went on to say that it's time to reevaluate this and that they would be coming out with a reopening plan of some stage uh in the next week they also talked about air travel and the testing uh that goes on there will also uh be adjusted what do you think of you know and obviously the provinces have been working on this for a while ontario announced its last month uh what do you think about the change in tone now because right up until yesterday it was all about getting everybody vaccinated it was all about getting 100 percent of the population vaccinated now they're reevaluating your thoughts i think that they're reading the uh, evidence that comes out of the science table i think they're looking at hospitalizations icu uh, hospitalizations uh, i think they're looking at the percentage of ontarians or people in canada depending which jurisdiction we're talking about that are double vaccinated that are triple vaccinated so i think when you look at all these variables um, and the other thing they're looking at, Scott, from what I understand, especially is the the testing to come back, as you mentioned, uh, with respect to air travel, which, you know, I have all sorts of thoughts on having had to do it. Um, and when you look at those variables, you think, OK, how can we how can we actually let not legislate, but how can we create an atmosphere, a healthy atmosphere where people can learn to live with the virus? And you and I mm-hmm. talked about this and I said, mm-hmm. you know what? would happen if we actually started coming out with messaging that helped give people or arm people with the knowledge that would say, okay, if we're going to start living with this virus, this is what we still need to keep in mind. And people will still keep in mind. Like, for for the most part, most of us have been some really good rule followers for a very, very long time. And the more you have this convoy sort of shouting messages, you know, free our children, free this, free that – I'm not saying that they're going to have, you know, more joiner honors as a result, but it does help seed, you know, sow the the seeds of discontent when you're thinking, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with everything that they're saying, but I certainly agree with the fact that I am tired of this, of uh, living with COVID. 
or being mandated to live with COVID. Now, how am I going to do it so that I can get on with my life? Is it time for, and you know, uh, again, we're talking about a redirection change with the Prime Minister, is it time to stop vilifying the unvaccinated? There are so many vaccinated. Why do we keep hammering this home? Are we going to get to 100%? Uh, I, I think people are more unhappy with the divisiveness than they are the vaccination rate. Listen, I don't think the Prime Minister needs to vilify the vaccinated anymore because people on their own are going to do it themselves. Yeah. So if you are within a family where everybody's vaccinated and you have people who are either elderly or immunocompromised, you're going to create your own rules that you're going to live by uh, with respect to who you're going to socialize with and how you're going to comport yourself and whether you're going to remain masked when you walk into a store or not. So I think that people are armed with enough information that we can say, okay, you you have everything that you need to know now. So let's change the tone. Let's move it away from vilification of the of the unvaccinated, because as I say, people will comport themselves accordingly and uh, socialize accordingly, and move into a tone where this is how we're going to move forward. And I'll tell you, I mean, you know, the premier has been back and forth, back and forth, or not even seen in some cases uh, with respect to when we get different waves. So, you know, he's got an election coming up. What is it, June? So Mm, his narrative is definitely in the works and definitely always being massaged because he doesn't want to make any missteps now. But really, we need someone to lead. And he needs to lead by creating a way where we're going to learn to live with COVID. Uh, Again, I I think this is on the prime minister's head first and then shoved down to the provinces. I, you know, again, I I don't think that Canadians are looking to Doug Ford for leadership. They're looking to uh, the prime minister. Yeah, no, I hear Uh, you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, Trudeau, even with the whole convoy and, you know, where was he during all during all of this? It's like, don't pretend it's not happening. This is not where we need you to be an ostrich. We know this is a frightening thing. They're not going away. And I think that there were several opportunities to not necessarily nip the whole thing in the bud, but certainly change the message track. Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, as always. Thank you for the time, Alyssa. Have a great weekend. Be well. Okay, you too, Scott. Thanks for having me. Let's move on and find out exactly where Canadians' heads are at this point of uh, this uh, global pandemic. It's always been interesting to uh, monitor where we are as we go through the various stages of this, and we certainly know where we are uh, at this point. Uh, And Ipsos now, the headline says nearly half, 46% of Canadians say they may not agree with everything truckers uh, the trucker convoy says or does, um, but sympathy for the convoy has risen, especially among the younger people. This is bizarre. 18 to 34, 61%. Four in 10 Canadians agree with what, a, a lot of, of what the truckers initially were fighting for. However, uh, they simply do not agree with uh, what we've seen and uh, the occupation of Ottawa and, and obviously the Ambassador Bridge. But obviously, this seems to be a little bit more than just a trucker protest. Let's bring in Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos, and with us now, Daryl, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. So uh, are Canadians, uh, is the attitude of Canadians changing? Where where are we now at this stage of of, uh, the pandemic, Daryl? Well, it's a rapidly moving issue. But, you know, when we planted a flag on this a a couple of days ago to try to figure out where Canadians uh, are in terms of their thinking about the protests, 
what we're finding is that it's less about the truck drivers and the things that are going on immediately in the uh, in the protests themselves, and more about the general's sense of frustration. All of this is communicating that mm. seems to be resonating and connecting with at least. 46% of the people that, uh, that that we talked to in our survey. And, and, you know, these numbers are consistent across a, a number of questions that we asked. But uh, you pointed out one of the most interesting things is it's uh, among people who are 18 to 34 years of age, Canadians who are in that age bracket, the number is 61. Uh, and to me, not a huge shock. These are the people that we tend to find or feel most um, uh, uh, dis. Uh, disjointed as a result of what we've been going through relative to the pandemic. And mm. also they tend to be among the category of the population that's the least affluent. And that's one of the things that we also see people who are less affluent, have less money are also uh, more uh, aligned with what the truckers are, are doing, at least the, the frustration that they're communicating. So it's a bit more of a class thing than it is a standard type of political left, right thing. Uh, again, it seems pretty surprising to, to see like, you know, over 60% in that young 18 to, to 34 age group. Um, we've seen, uh, when this first started, uh, many, including the prime minister kind of painting this with everyone with the same brush. Uh, do you think that's the case here? I mean, obviously this has gotten way out of hand and now has become, uh, quite radical, but you know, the first weekend, I, I think it was a bit different, obviously more than just a trucker protest, as you've uh, mentioned, are, are politicians aware that this is more than 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 just the initial issue of the trucker vaccine mandate? Well, I think, you know, they may be waking up to the fact that it is. I mean, because even if they move all of the rigs and they get things back going in the direction uh, that they need them to go and, you know, on the various bridges and other pieces of infrastructure that are being occupied, including downtown Ottawa, uh, the, the sentiment that led to this is not is not going away. The, these these This is... What led to this um, uh, and, and the support that we're seeing out there at 46%, nearly half the Canadian population, uh, is real anxiety about the direction of the country. And this is a combination of what they've lived through with uh, the pandemic, but also what they're increasingly seeing about their economic future with issues like, for example, the cost of living or even buying a, a home today in a place like Hamilton. And, and that's why you're seeing young people saying, you know what, uh, uh, I, this may not be my selected lightning rod, but I'm seeing all this electricity in the air and, and feeling all of these feelings, and it's coming down on this particular thing, which is the trucker protest. Will this change uh, politicians' move, uh, 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 message moving forward? I mean, it, it seems that uh, the provinces have announced that they were moving forward. Even the doctors, Dr. Tam, Dr. Henry, Dr. Moore, even as much as two weeks ago, were saying it's time to, to reevaluate all of this. Uh, the province of Ontario, we know, uh, started last month with all of this. Are we starting to see, like right up until yesterday, the prime minister was still hammering away at getting more people back vaccinated that was the way out uh, but it seems today after what has happened that the message is starting to change and they're admitting they're going to try to reevaluate things and come up with a plan next week certainly in regard to airport travel yeah so th this is i think forcing people to, to come to the realization that uh, the canadians are kind of at the end of the rope um, and uh, where this started off is we really were all in this together i mean when we were saying it at the time you even saw you know, support numbers for governments at historical highs. 
uh, support for the scientific and medical community, medical community, very, very high. Uh, and people incredibly compliant with what governments were asking them to do. In fact, the issue on vaccines in Canada wasn't at the time uh, whether or not people would take them. It's whether or not we could get enough of them. Yeah. We've gone through that. And then what happened just prior to just around last summer uh, is that people really started to get tired and they were almost a, a bit celebratory as we started to to take some of uh, some of the restrictions off. And then what happened was Delta and uh, in, in particular, Omicron plunges right back into it. So people feel like they've they've complied with everything they've been asked to do. And we're still not back on track. And now there's this other whole series of issues that are coming up related to the economy and whether or not they're going to be able to do things, as I said before, like buy homes or their jobs are secure or whatever. And they're sitting back going, you know, I've just had enough. I, 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 I want to see some progress. I want to see some change. I want things to, to be different. And that, that emotion is really frustration. And that's what you're seeing resonating between the, at least half the Canadian population and the people who are protesting with their trucks. As I said before, it's not actually about the truckers. It's not about the tactics. It's, it's not that people agree with shutting down bridges or things. Yeah. But the sentiments that are behind that, that's where there's some connection. Do you think Canadians feel that? Um, uh, do you think Canadians feel that uh, it's time to change the message? Do you think it's now um, evident to government that this is what happens when you don't listen to the other side? Do you think that will change the divisiveness? Will we continue to vilify those that are unvaccinated? Do we think we can get 100% of the population vaccinated? It seems we're focused on that rather than the way out. Yeah, well, and the problem on this one when it comes to the statistics is, well, people are not particularly uh, cognizant of the stats on many things and, you know, not especially numerate. Uh, you know, even a person who's following following this casually knows that the level of vaccination in a place like Ontario is very, very high. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the, where I am in Toronto, uh, you know, 90%. Well, it can't be just 10% that's causing all of these problems. And yeah. the other problem with Omicron is that it's so prevalent that people actually know in their own social circles, individuals who are vaccinated, who are getting it. So, yeah. Now the, the, the discussion is, is switched over to, uh, well, you know, if we wouldn't have been vaccinated, it would have been a whole lot worse. And people aren't there. They're not in that evaluative space right now. They're in the, I'm living in the here and now, the present. I've done everything that you've asked me to do, and I'm still stuck in my house. So something's got to change. And that's where this is, is bubbling out. It's blowing up and it's causing things like we're, like we're seeing. A state of emergency in Ontario. Things look like they're progressing. Uh, the federal government and the provincial government finally getting on the same page and moving forward after uh, two weeks of basically sitting on hands. You know, the prime minister said something very interesting during his speech today. He said, we hear you to the protesters. Something he's never said before. And you got to wonder if you'd said that earlier on, if maybe things would be a bit different uh, as opposed to the standoff we have now let's bring in charles Sox, associate dean professor of operations and business analytics associate dean of impact and partnerships for the university of cincinnati and talk about how uh, the u.s is viewing all of this charles thank you for the time i hope you're well yeah doing well thanks scott how much noise is this making in the u.s charles well, yeah, we're certainly hearing a lot about it. Uh, we have we have plants that are uh, either slowing down or, or closing here. But in fact, we have a, a Ford assembly plant here in Ohio that's currently closed due to part shortages. 
from suppliers in, in Canada. So yeah, definitely making a splash here in the U.S. What is the reaction from not only state officials, uh, but the president? We understand the president and uh, prime minister spoke today. It would be neat to be a fly on the wall. Any thoughts that would have been what might have been exchanged during that conversation? Well, I, I know that government officials are, are very concerned with the impact on the automotive industry, uh, the part shortages, uh, creating, creating, as I said, slowdowns and even factory closures on, on both sides of the border. So definitely some some uh, very real economic impact uh, on those firms as well as the as well as the workers in those factories. So I'm sure they're looking at ways to uh, discussing ways to uh, resolve the conflict. I know previously we, we talked about uh, these these vaccine requirements at the border wouldn't really by themselves stop the freight freight shipments from crossing the border would slow some things down. But clearly now, um, particularly there at, at the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, we we actually do have a do have a shutdown. We certainly know that, for example, car parts, the auto industry, parts, pieces will go back and forth across the border several times before they end up on an automobile going back again. Um, uh, Do you think this is going to, and and we've heard, I I believe it was a Michigan politician say that this is more reason to buy American and bring manufacturing back into the U.S. What do you think this does for trade relations for the two countries? Well, I think it's going to be interesting once we get out of the pandemic, how how trade relations might change uh, coming out. I I don't really see this having an impact on on consumers, uh, consumer attitudes toward Canadian products. In, in fact, I suspect there there's some U.S. citizens who sympathize with the protesters. Uh, and in fact, there there are rumors of convoys and protests planned uh, here here in the U.S. in in, in uh, Solidarity, solidarity with the, the truckers there in Canada. So I don't see it being there. I really see it more on the on the business side with your executives and your person managers, really rethinking about where they source parts, uh, where they even lo- locate their own facilities. Um, I, I think that's going to be something coming out of the pandemic that we're going to see globally. Uh, many companies and, and managers, executives rethinking about those location decisions, those sourcing decisions. Um, and, and so I, I think I, I don't doubt that's I know that know those conversations and, and plans are, are happening now, uh, whether this particular uh, incident affects those decisions or not. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Uh, obviously, this all started for us in Ottawa, in the nation's capital, on the front steps of, of Parliament Hill, and then slowly started moving to towards the borders. Uh, obviously, once you close a major border like the Ambassador Bridge, uh, it certainly gets people's attention. How long does a disruption have to have have to happen before uh, all of a sudden, boom, uh, this is a problem that needs to be rectified right away? Well, I, I mean, obviously. Uh, uh, Transportation firms, freight carriers have already found alternate routes uh, around the bridge. Uh, uh, it, you know, if it continues, they'll they'll just continue to plan for that. There's there's been backlogs at the uh, uh, at the Blue Water Bridge, about sixty miles away. Uh, so it, it's it's causing problems there. It's really already, it's already got the attention, obviously, of, of business leaders as well as uh, politicians. So. I don't think it needs to go on much longer before, uh, you know, something will, will actually happen. Any word of U.S. law enforcement or officials getting involved on what happens on your side of the bridge? Or is that not an issue? It's our problem on our side of the fence. Yeah, Scott, I haven't seen that uh, uh, anywhere, so I, I wouldn't, wouldn't know, really. 
We are seeing slowly provinces uh, announce timelines for reopening and their plans. We saw the Ontario government do this uh, last month with the first stage of their reopening and such. And now uh, we're starting to get uh, messaging from the federal government as of today, from the health minister, uh, that they're reevaluating their message. And uh, we'll talk next week in regard to uh, perhaps loosening uh, restrictions around air travel, including the testing requirements that are needed there. Lots to talk about with Dr. Isaac Bogosh, staff physician, general internal medicine and infectious disease associate professor, Department of Medicine, University of Toronto. Doctor, as always, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, yeah, not too bad. How about you? I'm doing well, but I've been dying to ask this question because this evolves so quickly and there's so much new information that comes out. Um, uh, double vaccinated. I got it over Christmas. Live to tell. All is good. I recommend everybody to get vaccinated and, and so on and so forth. But I really feel we're at a different place uh, in this pandemic. Uh, meeting the other day and now the federal government talking about the situation with air travel and how the testing requirements uh, need to be updated there. So here's my question to you, Dr. Bogosh, with the vaccine, and we all know we need it and it keeps us out of the hospital and keeps us safe, but with the vaccine not stopping transmission of the disease, and we know that, uh, saw it with the Prime Minister too, um, does that affect mandates or these sort of things, uh, requirements, protocol for going across the border. And where I'm eventually going with this, Dr. Bogosh, is if, if, if the vaccine does not stop transmission, do we really need to have mandates on truckers crossing borders? Does that matter now? Has this discussion changed? Oh, my God. Lots to address. I love all these questions. Let's start with a couple of quick things. Number one. Does the vaccine prevent transmission? Two doses? No. Three doses? A little bit. It does. It absolutely does. Three doses, you have some reasonable protection against actually getting the infection. And there's emerging data suggesting that you might be less likely to transmit to others uh, pound for pound compared to unvaccinated. But that's not the question because we're not considering three doses of a vaccine that's fully vaccinated. The question is, with the current status, two doses of the vaccine is considered fully vaccinated. No, it does not impact uh, transmission uh, as and not nearly as much as we'd like, uh, especially with the Omicron variant. And for that reason and for many other reasons, we have to obviously rethink and constantly reevaluate the policy. Like, I think there's reasons like that and beyond that that would suggest that it's really time to reevaluate the border policy doesn't mean we just pretend COVID doesn't exist and act like that. No, no, I still think you need to have a good sense of what is coming into your country. But I mean, I don't think we need PCR testing on everybody. I think for return travelers, we should probably have a representative sample. I'm making up a number, you know, one in a hundred people or one in 500 people coming in should have a random test. So we know what's coming into the country and where it's coming from. But in terms of, you know, does everyone coming into the country need a PCR test? No, I think that's a bit outdated at this point, and the policy should be updated. 
So obviously with the truckers, it's a mandate. They both have to be, both sides of the border have to be vaccinated to get across. Obviously, we're talking about testing in the airport, so that's a bit different. When it comes to actually people moving from one side of the border to another because of the transmission situation that we just discussed, is it as imperative? And I guess what I'm looking for here, doctor, is there an easy way out of this mess that we're in with protests by just saying there's no need for that type of mandate at this point? considering our high vaccination rate. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think you can line up 100 people and you're going to get 100 different answers. Yeah. My point is, you know, there's there's obviously lots of facets to this. Facet number one is, to what extent does two doses of a vaccine prevent transmission? Not that much. Three doses, three does. Three doses does. And it's not as significant as in prior variants, but it, but it does. The second point, though, is, you know, we can do whatever we want here in Canada and make our own rules and laws as a sovereign country. But the United States, and again, I'm a bit over my skis here, but my understanding mm-hmm. is the United States wants this and is mandating this as well. So even if Canada says we're not going to mandate it, if you're crossing into the United States, you still need to be vaccinated. Um, so, you know, obviously that does, that's not, that doesn't mean we can't change the rules and laws here in Canada. It's just, something that needs to be considered. I think we always, like any other policy, we have to constantly reassess it. We have to ask ourselves, what is the goal? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And then ask, is it is this policy actually doing what it was intended to do? I mean, listen, none of these measures were per- meant to be permanent, right? Yeah. From vaccine certificates to vaccine passports to masking, None of this is meant to be permanent. The whole point of this is to mitigate the severity and the spread of COVID-19. They should be readjusted as the pandemic changes. And, you know, it's great to talk about lifting them. Here's a conversation no one else wants to have, but it's important to think about. What about September, October of 2022, when there's going to be more cases? Are we going to be asked to put masks back on again? Are we going to, Mm. to what extent can you put the genie back in the bottle? I think those are going to be very difficult conversations to have. But for now, I think many of the policies are, you know, outdated because they were good policies perhaps in October, November, December, but but we're in February and, and they need to be reassessed. Dr. Isaac Bogosh with us, staff physician, general internal medicine, infectious disease associate professor, Department of Medicine, University of Toronto. Doctor, thanks for the clarity. Uh, I know it's tough to keep up, but we're trying. Thanks so much for uh, trying to add some clarity to it all. Be well. You all have a good one. Lots changing uh, pretty quickly today as uh, an Ontario Superior Court uh, judge has granted an injunction uh, which prevents protesters from demonstrating uh, along and stopping traffic uh, crossing the uh, Ambassador Bridge. That goes into effect at 7 o'clock tonight. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward with that. All right, we've certainly seen uh, a change in tone with uh, leadership today, both the Premier and the Prime Minister coming out with extremely stern messaging, uh, probably the most we've heard, uh, certainly from the Prime Minister in in, uh, in in a long period of time, and uh, certainly that feeling that they are working together, that they are having a coordinated effort with the municipalities and the province and, uh, and the 
feds to to not only figure out what's going on in Ottawa, but also more importantly, open up the blue uh, blue water bridge is now feeling some pressure because of the Ambassador Bridge. So again, putting more pressure on other uh, uh, points of entry as well. So obviously, this has to be uh, it has to be solved, and it has to be solved relatively quickly. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the messaging has changed. Daniel Perry with us, consultant Summa Strategies, and with us now, Daniel. Thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Scott. I hope you're doing well as well. So far, so good. Uh, yesterday, the PM was doubling down on getting everybody vaccinated. No word on a uh, reopening plan yet. The province is obviously talking about that. Uh, Ontario started doing that uh, about a month ago and such. And then today, blammo, we've got uh, uh, not only a stern news conference from the uh, Premier, but also from the Prime Minister, uh, and actually used the words, these three words, which I've never heard him use, uh, to the protesters saying, we hear you. And then following that with, it's time to to go home obviously um but we hear you uh but I, I don't think he uh, i've heard him utter that uh so far during any of this and also uh chatter about next week there's uh, some changes coming into a protocol with testing in the airports and such and the health minister said they are reevaluating uh their position on this dr tam dr henry dr moore have been talking about this for a couple of weeks now are you starting to see the message change from the prime minister here well i think the prime minister can hear them now because the horns have stopped first and foremost <laughs> uh, at the same time i think the pre- i think the prime minister realized he needed to step up when premier ford stepped up earlier today uh, i was a little bit shocked at how premier ford handled this and i was almost proud to be from ontario watching him do that and it was good to see the prime minister return the favor and actually start talking because he's been hiding pretty much since they got into town. With that said, it makes sense that um, restrictions are going to be lifted. Things are starting to look a little bit better, and especially when we look to our neighbors uh, down south, they're opening up and things are working well, and people honestly are getting tired of of being locked down, being in their houses, not being able to cross the border. So this is a great step forward. Uh, ha- should the, the Prime Minister have adjusted the tone earlier? I mean, obviously, we've got so many of us vaccinated. We're, uh, we should be celebrating some of the highest vaccination rates in the world, yet continuing to vilify those that are not vaccinated. We're, we're, we're seeing that Canadians are saying they don't agree with anything that the truckers are doing or these protesters, I should say, are doing and how they're stopping the economy and life from going on. However, they can understand uh what their plight is in the government overreach do you think the position of also canadians is changing on this as well as the politicians i think so too i think canadians are tired of the restrictions that they're that they want to see some light at the end of the tunnel and i think we're getting to that point and politicians are slowly realizing that and i think that's a good thing for everyone involved in this situation uh, many had said that uh, they wanted the premier to step up uh, quicker and such. Uh, it, it seemed that many were trying to push this onto the provinces as opposed to the prime minister. Has the prime minister successfully deflected this away from Ottawa? I think he has. And at the end of the day, like the protest has worked out well for him. His m- biggest opposition in Aaron O'Toole is no longer there. So he got a big win. Um, plus he was able to punt it off to the provinces and not really have to get into the mud and get his hands dirty. So I think he navigated it as well as he could have. 
That being said, at this stage in, in the late changing of the messaging and where the rest of the country is, and you talked about other places around the world, as I mentioned yesterday, still vilifying those that are unvaccinated. Many are asking what his goal is. How many can you get vaccinated? Are you trying for 100% vaccination, which to me seems as, as absurd as, as, as nobody getting vaccinated, and, and I'm fully vaccinated. Has he lost the room here? Does he? What does he have to do, Daniel, to to you? reunite this country i think he has to do a lot to unite this country just hop over to western canada i'm sure they have some very strong thoughts on what he can do that said um yeah canada is doing well i think we're one of the highest countries in terms of number of people vaccinated percentage wise in ontario the chief medical officer came out and said we're at 90 percent, which is pretty dang good if you ask me and i think people are realizing that we did what we had to do we had to get vaccinated and a majority of people did that. So why are we still walking around with restrictions? Why are we still having to show passports to get into restaurants and stuff like that? When most people have done the right thing and done the honorable thing, why are we still paying for the 10% that happened? So I think like politicians are listening to that and they're hearing that people want to get back into the swing of things and they're changing their tune accordingly. Uh, we, we've said this for a while, and again, some of the vaccination rates uh, compared to the rest of the world are, are astounding. And I remember at the beginning of this, if we thought if we can get 40 or 50 percent vaccinated, uh, doctors were going to be pretty excited to, to think we are where we are, especially in Ontario, is is phenomenal. Many are thinking we should be celebrating and, and, and patting ourselves on the back for the accomplishments and the high vaccination rates, uh, but we're not. There's divisiveness. Why are we... A country so divided considering how successful we've been in vaccination i think in the last election the election question was about vaccines and all that and politicians had to divide canadians in order to win and i think that's why we saw justin trudeau and his liberal government do that of painting people that are anti-vax or those that were vaccine hesitant as the problem it's because it was a political win for him so i think the government the federal government in particular has to start listening and if the prime minister said he is listening to the protesters he needs to continue to do that and kind of show with his actions that he's listening and i think rolling back the restrictions especially around being testing for those that are fully vaccinated is a good step forward to helping canadians feel heard again and be united as you pointed out um uh, the the prime minister decided to take the the tone of of vilifying those unvaccinated in order to win the election we've had mps come out and 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 say that that was the case and we certainly know that that we certainly know that that painted uh the conservatives into a corner and and no doubt had huge impact on uh, the election results. Uh, now that that is out and we are where we are, and right up until today, uh, the message was the same, do you think that's going to hurt the Prime Minister in any way? You said that he'll come out of this on top because of people's perception. Do you think there's th- there's any that are questioning all of this and, and the divisiveness and uh, you know dividing the country on these issues? I think the prime minister has done the calculation where he's banking on that there's going to be a new issue coming up that he can win on, that COVID's going Mm. to go to the wayside, and that he can start talking about the economic progress we've seen in Canada. First, we have to achieve some economic progress, which might be a challenge in itself, but I think he's hoping that the tune will be changed by the next time we go to the ballot box. 
and we can focus on something other than COVID. And I'll be honest with you, if I never have to talk about COVID again, I will be more than happy to do that. <laughs> I, I think you're going to get high fives all around for that. Daniel Perry with his consultant, Summa Strategies. Daniel, thanks so much for the time at Insight. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. Be well. You too, Scott. Take care. We've certainly heard about the latest in what is going on uh, with the trucker protests, and uh, the latest news development would be that the Ontario Superior Court has issued an injunction uh, which says that the uh, Ambassador Bridge has to be reopened. It cannot be used to stop uh, the supply of goods and services going back and forth, and that goes into effect as of 7 o'clock tonight. So it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward uh, after that as we head into the weekend. All right, how much damage has already been done by what we are seeing? We all know that uh, the U.S. is on a Buy America uh, plan or, or, or certainly mantra right now. And, um, you know, we heard from a, a, a Michigan politician today that said this is all more reason to bring all this manufacturing stuff back into the United States out of Canada and be more self-sufficient. What is the long-term fallout of something like this? How do we make sure uh, we can convince uh, both countries and, and business that uh, we can have a, a, a steady supply chain, considering what it is anyway with the pandemic? Let's bring in Robert Bothwell, Professor, Department of Canadian History, Monk School of Global Affairs, Department of International Relations, Monk School of Affairs, University of Toronto. Robert, thank you for the time. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Indeed, I am, and uh, better because of today's news. Yeah, it certainly. Uh, what? Uh, well, let's start with that. Uh, moving forward, seven o'clock tonight. It looks like uh, this injunction takes effect. What do you expect to see over the course of the weekend? Well, I mean, I haven't been very good at predicting what will be in the minds of the protesters. So, really, the next uh, in the next hour or so, um, we have to hope that they're going to start moving off the Ambassador Bridge. And we also have to hope that they're not going to be heading towards Fort Erie to deal with the Peace Bridge um, or you know, any number of the other uh, border crossing points. So the ball is in their court for the immediate future. Um, if they don't move, it's absolutely imperative uh, for the government of Ontario and, and the government of Canada uh, to get them off that bridge. I mean, they absolutely have to. And they have they will have to use whatever means uh, are necessary, which I assume are not violent towards people, but they're going to have to tow them and um, and move them off um, because we we simply can't go through another day. Uh, we've already lost billions of dollars in trade um, here and in Manitoba and Alberta. And the Canadian economy can't stand that. We're just recovering out of the you know the disaster of the covid and um you know to, to get this kick in the pants is really not what uh, what our country needs so i absolutely believe in the interest of the whole country and especially the interest of industrial southern ontario we've just we've just got to uh get this thing moving uh, what about long-term effects here, Robert? Uh, we heard one Michigan politician saying this is all the reason to move uh, manufacturing back into the United States. We certainly know with car parts and the auto sector that a part may go back and forth several times before it actually ends up on a vehicle, and then that may be sold somewhere else. Uh, is that possible? What does this do to the whole Buy American thing? 
Well, that's Mrs. Conyers, and uh, she is a notorious protectionist. And, uh, you know, and, and there is a, a very blinkered uh, attitude in Michigan towards their neighbors. You see it in their governor, and now we, you see it in this lady. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm depressed, but I'm not surprised at what she's saying. She is the most likely person uh, to say that. Obviously, I think the U.S. government in Washington takes the view at this point that this is something it doesn't need. You know, that this is not something uh, that they want. If they if they do that, of course, <clears throat> uh, then we scrap NAFTA. I mean, that's just gone. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the central point of the free trade so-called agreement with the United States. And if that is taken out of the heart of it, uh, then really the agreement will not exist any longer. And uh, and that has very serious repercussions for Canada. Um, I don't think the national government in Washington uh, would, at this point, want to take it anywhere near that far. And um, I think a lot of them understand that for Canada to be a friendly and effective ally, especially an effective one, um, you know, we actually have to be able to pay our way, and we can't pay our way if uh, the heart of our industrial economy is cut out. So my sense is that uh, Washington very badly wants to see an end of it, so that Mrs. Conyers' uh, statements become just atmospheric. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, it certainly got the American attention. The other problem is the transborder uh, implications of this, because uh, in the United States, of course, there are a lot of people who think like the leaders of this so-called protest movement, subversive protest movement, hmm. and um, the American government must be very, very worried uh, that people are going to pick up the um, uh, <laughs> pick up the, the gauntlet, I guess. You know, and the difference between us and them, as we know, is that they've got a lot of guns. And precisely <laughs> the kinds of yeah. people who participate in this in Canada, for the most part, I'm, I'm sure 95% are not armed. But in the United States, it would be reversed. I mean, these guys would come uh, with their guns. And um, we've seen what that hap- what that does in Michigan. You know, the plot to cu- kidnap the governor um, and try her by all these clowns carrying their submachine guns. And then the invasion of the Michigan legislature. And then you know, that, that series of school murders by a kid who just casually, his parents just casually give him a gun for his yeah. birthday. Yeah. So, you know, if I were Biden, I'd, I'd just be terrified because if this starts in the United States, um, what's happening in Canada will look like a picnic. Robert Bothwell with us, Professor, Department of Canadian History, Monk School of Global, uh, Global Affairs, Department of International Relations, University of Toronto. Robert, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Bye. We've talked lots over the course of this pandemic about a vaccination. We certainly know how important vaccination has been. We recommend everybody get vaccinated. It is the best way to uh, stay healthy and not uh, end up in a hospital uh, for all of this. Uh, That being said, McMaster researchers uh, at McMaster University uh, have been working on a pair of inhaled vaccines that are effective against uh, COVID-19 and variants of concerns. Another way to take it uh, in an update 
update through the online journal Cell. Phase 1 clinical trials are underway to evaluate the aerosol vaccines in healthy adults who have already had their uh, mRNA vaccines, uh, such as Pfizer and Moderna. And obviously, this working as a booster? Let's find out. Sam Afkami is with us, postdoctoral researcher with McMaster University and is with us now. Sam, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, Thanks so much. I hope you're well as well. Yes, thanks so much. So uh, talk about this inhalant. Is it the exact same drug as, you know, we're seeing that you would get injected anyway? It's just delivered in a different form? Uh, Are are we getting a a varied version of this because it is an inhalant? That's a great question. So um, the vaccines that we've designed here at McMaster, um, you know, when this pandemic first started blowing up across the world, um, in a way, we anticipated that as the virus spread and it infected more people, it would evolve. And that evolution was going to be an issue. And we see that with um, respiratory diseases like flu. So we designed our vaccine to target additional parts of the virus that we know don't mutate and are under less mutational pressure. So our vaccine is unique from what's out there and from what you and I have received in the sense that we're targeting additional pieces of the virus that we know from when it originally came out and started spreading the world to where we are today with Omicron has not mutated. So is an inhaler a better way of administering this than a shot in the arm? Uh, And that's sort of the biggest point of where our vaccine comes into play is that, uh, you know, we get infected by these viruses in our lungs. So when we get these injectable vaccines, um, we know that they provide really good protection against hospitalization and death. But over time, after you get these vaccines, you know, their ability to protect you at that site of infection in the lungs falls off. So by taking these vaccines that we're, that we're developing as an inhalable, we can actually tell our immune system uh, you know, where it should be, which is where the virus goes, and be there for a much longer period of time. So in a way, what we've designed here is designed to provide much more long-lasting protection really at the source of infection. So this inhalers work well with a respiratory-based illness. So in other words, this is better for something like a COVID-19, which is a respiratory illness, than perhaps something else. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, this technology that we've been working on, we've tried to apply to a multitude of other diseases as well that are respiratory pathogens. So that was my next question was, can this be used in any other form? But again, uh, obviously, this is centered more around respiratory illness, other, you know, as opposed to, say, other diseases, cancer for or, or what have you. But uh, say, for example, like a lung cancer, uh, would something like this be more valuable than uh, traditional drugs? Uh, I think that's a good question. So we don't know when it comes to talking about other diseases like cancer, whether targeting it directly there might be beneficial. It's not something that we really looked into. Um, we know from you know, past two decades of research, it's definitely black and white difference when we're comparing an injectable versus an inhalant for respiratory diseases. But I think that the concept behind it can potentially apply to a whole array of different diseases too, um, if research is done in those sectors, that is. And this makes complete sense when you look at something like the treatment for asthma. Exactly. So those ones as, in, as puffers, right, we take them directly where we're getting those symptoms and we have those issues. So we're sort of building off that idea. It just makes sense, right, to target where an infection occurs or where you see symptoms. 
Could you see if, for example, this becomes an annual flu shot or what have you, uh, instead of going in and getting the shot like we did for the flu, you'd go in and you'd get a blast? Exactly. And I think down the road, if, um, if the technology takes off and becomes more compact, it can be given not only to um, at home and be administered at home because you don't need a trained professional to inject it, um, but also in terms mm. of um, reoccurring delivering, the way that we've designed these vaccines, hopefully, um, and if it pans out, is that it can provide long-lasting protection where you don't have to keep coming back for an updated shot like we see with the flu. Uh, I think I've had a flu shot through a nasal injection. That it, it, we, we do the flu shot this way as well, do, too, don't we? Exactly, yeah. So that one's actually through a nasal mist. Yes. Um, our technology varies a little bit is that instead of going into the nose, we're going through the mouth directly right. into the lungs. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, do you see this changing uh, the way we administer vaccine? You talked about, for example, uh, no need to have somebody. We don't have to go into a pharmacist and have somebody who's qualified to inject us. This is something we can do ourselves. What are the advantages there? Yeah, exactly. So we think, you know, this is still a few years away of being built up um, as yeah. we test the technology more and more. But so ideally, um, where we see this technology going is that depending on the formulation, you can deliver these vaccines at home to be used. So it reduces your risk of being exposed outside if there's, for example, um, this in, in the context of this pandemic, for example, uh, it's completely needle free. So there's no um, requirement of trained professionals to administer it to make sure it goes in the right place. Um, you know, there's much less waste produced with this technology in terms of needles and sharps and other PPE needed. And I think the biggest thing is if we can design this technology in a way that it can actually be developed to other parts of the world where we can't get traditional vaccine strategies or healthcare professionals there, particularly Mm. in developing parts of the globe. Sam Afkami with us, postdoctoral researcher with McMaster University, working on an inhaler as a way to uh, administer COVID-19 vaccines. And uh, once again, Mac on the cutting edge of, uh, of science with this. Sam, thanks so much for the time. Good luck moving forward. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. All right, let's get away from uh, protests and uh, all that sort of crap. And uh, how about a bit of levity? Uh, Super Bowl is coming up this weekend. And uh, you may have noticed you're starting to see some of the uh, commercials. Uh, remember at one time it was like, a, you know, there was like this, um, you know, sort of uh, you couldn't see anything until the Internet. You couldn't see any uh, of the Super Bowl commercials and then and until the actual game itself. Now, of course, it all gets leaked out. Let's bring in Bill Brio, TV critic and author and with us now. Bill, thank you for the time i hope you're doing well doing fine scott how are you doing good so does the commercial for the super bowl still have the value that it did in the sense that we can all pretty much see them before they even show the big game it's changed hasn't it yeah a lot of these ads are already running and uh you know they're part of series and people are familiar already and it's the usual suspects you get beer companies and uh dot com cars uh you know but it's i think people are still um, you know, into it, right? And and I think it's still the Super Bowl, despite the fact that viewing trends are, are a bit lower, uh, it's still by far the biggest show of the year, Canada or the United States. I remember every year we used to talk about how much it would cost for a 30-second spot during the Super Bowl. Are they just as expensive as they always were? They went up. They're like $7 million now uh, for 30 30- seconds. 
seconds. Uh, so, yeah, it's crazy expensive, and there's like 60 of them, right, during the course of a game. That's mm. pretty good money for NBC this year, and that's why the rights cost so much. CTV will be carrying the game here in Canada. And we all know what happens with that as soon as it becomes a Canadian broadcast. Can Are we going to be able to see the same commercials that the American feed sees? Uh, not really, no. Remember, they changed that. Yep. Uh, CTV fought it tooth and nail. Uh, they managed to, uh, yeah. So mm. you can still find it. Uh, I think there's, uh, you could go online now. I just seriously watched 25 of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can see Scarlett Johansson and uh, her husband, you know, Colin Yost uh, doing an ad for Alexa. You can see Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, O'Hara for Nissan. You can see Schwarzenegger. You can see... Uh, you know, there's even an Austin Powers spot. It's it's all there now. Watch them now. It's funny because I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger on Jimmy Kimmel the other night, and he said, like, you know, he says, I can't believe all the fuss over this commercial. He said it's like a movie premiere, uh, the way they've hyped all of this. Uh, tell us about his. He's playing Zeus, and he's mm. electric, right? It's, so he's he's basically it's an ad for electric cars, but it's very funny. And Salma Hayek is his uh, Mrs. Zeus, and you know if somebody needs something lit up or they want street lights to stay green, Zeus just points his magic finger and shoots a bolt of electricity. Uh, it, there's, there is more special effects in one of these ads than in most feature films, so it is uh, pretty hilarious to see Schwarzenegger uh, playing playing Zeus. And, you know, it's amazing how life has changed for the cast of Schitt's Creek. And sure enough, Eugene Levy has yeah. made his way to a Super Bowl commercial. That's pretty That's pretty big for a Canadian actor and someone like Eugene Levy. It is awesome. And he's a, he's, it's a heroic role. Wait till you see him behind yeah, the wheel of this it, yeah. car. Yeah, he's, he's killing it. Catherine O'Hara, they pull up at a stoplight. She just happens to be in the next car. It's cute. And... Uh, uh, one of the better ads, I think. But everybody's in these things this year. J.B. Smoove, uh, you know, Andy Richter plays Caesar in a very elaborate Roman uh, ad, basically uh, promoting avocados from Mexico. Like, so the gag is that, well, I don't want to spoil it, but, I mean, but, it, but it's pretty funny. Have you happened to see, and I saw this before, the Super Bowl commercials. I'm not sure if it's part of the group that will make it in. But honestly, I saw this bill, and I thought it was one of the best commercial uh, commercials I've seen in an awfully long time. It's for uh, GMC Trucks. It's got a guy that jumps into his truck and starts doing what guys do in trucks. And instead of uh, whistling to call his dog out, he calls his cat out. And then everything that a man and his truck and the dog would do is now substituted with the cat. Uh, and there's a second series that has just started with this. I think it's one of the most incredible car or, uh, incredible commercials I've seen because they spend the whole 50 seconds of the 60-second spot uh, focusing on the cat and spend the last 10 seconds on the truck. And the guy's saying, well, who cares about the cat? Look what this truck can do. Uh, have you happened to see that one yet? Yeah, and you're right. It is a great surprise. And what's amazing about a lot of these ads, you don't find out until the last three seconds yeah. who the ad is for sometimes it you think for sure it's for something altogether different so i wonder how effective that is you know really you got the only you might think schwarzenegger's fantastic in this ad but what's the name of the car again so um but what i've also noticed scott is you know in the times that we're in people are looking for a little empathy a little you know mm. something we don't want any doom and gloom we want to get away from truck horns honking so you're seeing more positive 
notes and the messages and 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 that and part of the humor uh and that's so welcome so that that the advertisers have got that right hey that never hurts uh bill brio with his tv critic and author talking about super bowl and the commercials that we're about to see coming up this weekend bill as always thanks for the time be well you too take care scott thanks for listening to the hamilton today podcast you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from three to six on 900 chml and online at 900 chml.com Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.